0: Hi, and thanks for listening to Here and Now Anytime. We've got new episodes every weekday afternoon, so make sure you don't miss anything by following and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Here and Now Anytime. And if you've already subscribed, tell a friend about us. Now on with the show.
1: Visit your gas company or gas appliance dealer and see why where food is finest, it's cooked with gas. Gas
0: gas. Gas stoves. Yesterday's modern marvel is today's environmental hazard. It's Tuesday, January 10th, and this is Here and Now Anytime from NPR and WBUR Boston. I'm Chris Bentley. Today on the show, the health risks of cooking with a gas stove. And... We consider the practice of composting human remains after New York became the latest state to allow it. But first, the atmospheric river is still roaring over California. Flash flooding has killed at least 14 people so far. Incessant storms have closed highways and forced evacuations across the state. And the rain shows no sign of letting up. Dan Brecky has been reporting for KQED in San Francisco, and he spoke earlier to Robin Young.
2: Paint a picture of what Californias are facing.
1: Well, you know, we uh, have been thinking about drought a lot in uh, the past year because uh, last winter, our wet season was very, very dry. And we were thinking that way even just a couple weeks ago. And then uh, right after Christmas, the rains started and they just simply haven't let up since mm-hmm. then. So the, um, and I'm listening to the rain pounding down on my roof yeah. right now. Um, You know, uh, what happened um, in the last 24 hours was very dramatic. Um, The storms uh, had been really slamming into Northern California, north and south of San Francisco, and they moved down the coast with a vengeance yesterday. And um, they really hit the counties around Santa Barbara very hard. Um, there's a very steep mountain range that rises up from the coast right there, um, east of Los, uh, west of Los Angeles, and when the storms hit that um, hit that mountain range. the the rain just comes cascading down. There are places in the mountains there that have gotten 17 inches of rain Mm. or more even in the last 48 hours. And so that's raised uh, very serious flood uh, and debris flow concerns, and that led to one of the big uh, evacuations you talked about in the town of Montecito next to uh, Santa Barbara, where 10,000 people were evacuated yesterday, forced yeah. from their homes.
2: Is it too late in some areas to evacuate? Because we're hearing reports of a five-year-old, oh, terrible, swept away, he and his mom were in a car. Uh, do we know any more about that? But also, is it too dangerous to try to get out?
1: Well, there there are places where people were simply told, where they're near a burn scar, where there was a recent wildfire and um, and the water will run off even faster than mm. it usually does in these mountain areas. There were some people who were told to simply shelter it in place, get to the highest point in your home, and, and stay where you are. Now, we haven't heard that debris flows have uh, developed in those areas, the area, the uh, incident you're talking about with the uh, five-year-old child, was near a town called Paso Robles. That's in the southern part of the Salinas Valley, and uh, these, the Salinas River down there and the nearby creeks look dry and very tame most of the time. But under this rainfall, they turn into uh, fierce torrents. And the uh, and uh, yes, uh, car became stuck in floodwaters on uh, while while near a creek and uh, both mother and child were needed to be rescued, and unfortunately, the child could not be rescued. Oh,
2: just terrible, and you, know, you talk about the drought. This is impermeable land. I mean, it's so dry, so the water's just running off it, but we understand, too, it's not just the water. The mud under it is you know, sucking you know, car tires, and can you just tell <laughs> us, you talked about it moving down the coast, but where is, wh- which are the areas most in danger
1: now? Right now, the biggest concern is in Southern California, uh, in Los Angeles County, and to the west. Um, you know, the coastline actually goes east and west in that area, not in the typical north-south configuration you think of California. And so, uh, that area around Santa Barbara and and Los Angeles are the biggest concerns. Uh, the heaviest rains right now are moving into LA County. Light rains right now in the Santa Barbara area. But um, there's, there's much more and, and possibility of thunderstorms with uh, sudden bursts of very heavy rain expected uh, throughout the day today.
2: Yeah, and we should say these atmospheric rivers, they're always there, you know, these concentrated corridors, rivers of water in the atmosphere. But is it, this seems much worse.
1: Well, the the remarkable thing is, you know, I was listening to uh, a briefing from the Department of Water Resources yesterday, yeah, and a state climatologist, uh, somebody named Michael Anderson, said, you know, not n- none of these storms by themselves would make you stop and go, wow, that's a that's a uh, that's an amazing storm, but the fact that we've had two weeks in Northern California. Without a break, and then yeah. this event in Southern California is actually different. That is a storm that makes you say, "Wow! That that is a an amazing event."
2: Oh. Dan Brecky, reporter and editor with member station KQED in San Francisco, thank you so much, and and please stay safe.
1: Oh, you're welcome, Robin.
0: After the break. Federal regulators are reviewing the safety of gas stoves after studies suggested they could be responsible for some childhood asthma. Stick around. More than a third of American households cook with gas stoves, mine included. But some recent studies have connected cooking with gas to a number of health risks. And now the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission plans to take action to address what one commissioner called a hidden hazard. Josiah Kephart is one of those sounding the alarm. He's an environmental epidemiologist at Drexel. Here's his
3: conversation with Robin. When you light your gas stove, that fossil fuel gas is burned or combusted right inside your kitchen. So this creates a mixture of invisible toxic air pollutants um, that you often can't see. One of these toxic air pollutants is nitrogen dioxide, or NO2. This is a a well-known air pollutant that's known to harm health and is heavily regulated by the EPA for outdoors, but has received relatively little attention indoors. So when you breathe high levels of NO2, it irritates the airways in your respiratory system. And in the short term, this causes inflammation in your lungs that can trigger respiratory symptoms. So, for example, if you have asthma or COPD, NO2 can serve as a trigger for an asthma or COPD episode or exacerbation.
2: Ah. So are you saying that these gas stoves, and are these studies saying that these gas stoves exacerbate asthma that might already be there, or are they causing asthma?
3: It's both. So in in the short term, you might get an asthma exacerbation, but there are also long-term effects of chronic exposure to NO2 that can affect everyone, not just people who already have a respiratory disease. So long-term exposure to NO2 creates chronic inflammation of your lungs, which can stress out your body in all sorts of ways that can affect your heart and other organ systems. So for example, we know that kids who live in areas with higher NO2 have damage to their lungs as they're growing up that can actually limit their lung function throughout the rest of their lives.
2: Well, we know Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey is one of a group of lawmakers uh, concerned about this. They've uh, asked the Consumer Product Safety Commission chair to uh, take action on this. And one of the points they make is that statistics show that uh, black, Latino, low-income households are more likely to experience this air pollution, either because, you know, they're already located near, let's say, a waste incinerator, or they're smaller. They don't have the ventilation. There may, may be in apartments in the inner city. Talk about what families can do to either prevent this or lessen this I- impact
3: yes that's a great point um the devil is really in the details about ventilation it's not quite as simple as just turn on your your range hood and you're going to be okay so range hoods tend to be only sufficiently protective if first of all they're using them and most people don't you need to operate at them at full capacity which is often very loud Um, It's much better to have an outdoor exhaust system with air is pumped outdoors versus a fan that recirculates and filters the air indoor. But if you do have one that recirculates indoor, you probably have to check. A lot of times, usually those fans require frequent filter changes, usually about every three months. Mm. And I think we all know people who often go decades before replacing those range hood filters. So replacing those filters is really good. But I think in general, don't think of a gas stove as a yes, no thing. Think of ways to reduce your use of gas appliances. So depending on your kitchen needs and your habits, electric kettles or electric pressure cookers like an Instant Pot or even a countertop electric induction hot plate can really dramatically reduce the reliance on a gas stove for for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Air purifiers in your kitchen can also help remove NO2. And then it's really important to not forget the less interesting, but just as important, other gas appliances, like your water heaters, your heating system, and your gas drivers, gas dryers. The stove is the thing in front of you most days, but other gas appliances can create just as much pollution as a stove.
2: Wow. Well, you know, a 2021 feature in Mother Jones talked about the extensive gas industry pushback on the dangers of these stoves. We're going to link listeners at hearnow.org, But we know states have been trying to make changes Why hasn't that been effective, in your opinion?
3: There's been a lot of recent momentum towards this. It's really unclear why it took so long. We've known a lot about the health risks of NO2. As I said, it's it's regulated by the EPA outdoors. It has been for decades. And so there is a lot of movement now to address this. And the Inflation Reduction Act, for example, has a lot of subsidies and benefits for people to electrify, to get rid of their gas appliances and replace them with electric. But there definitely has been a lot of resistance from the fossil fuel industry, who I would say in general have a long history of downplaying health concerns from fossil fuels.
2: Well, and I have to say sometimes we've met the enemy and it is us. There are a lot of those of us who cook who feel we can't cook without that flame. Increasingly we see research like this. Uh, Maybe reconsider that. Uh, Josiah Keppard, environmental epidemiologist and professor at Drexel University in Philadelphia. Thanks so much. Thank you very much.
0: Well, if that conversation has you reconsidering the environmental reality of your daily life, I hope you're ready to stay in that headspace. Because next up, Robin speaks with two advocates for human composting. More after the break.
2: a little warning here before our next conversation because it may make some of you feel a little squeamish. It's about what happens to our bodies when we die. But proponents of the method we're going to talk about find it beautiful. New York is the latest state to give people the option of composting bodies. It's sometimes called natural organic reduction since the body of the deceased is decomposed using plant materials transformed into beautiful soil. It was first legalized in Washington State in 2019. It's now also in Colorado, Oregon, Vermont, California. California. According to one of our next guests, human composting saves over a metric ton of carbon per person versus cremation or conventional burial. And unlike many embalming fluids, doesn't add harmful chemicals to the soil. Let's hear more from Katrina Spade. She's the founder and CEO of Seattle's Recompose, which offers what she calls ecological death care. Katrina, we're talking about burials. Your last name really is Spade. It really is. Okay. Well, welcome. And we also have Nina Schoen. Uh, She's a 52-year-old mother, environmentalist, and software manager. And, Nina, you are planning on having your remains composted when the time comes? Yes, I am. Okay. We want to learn more from you. But, Katrina, you start. Because we've talked to people about green burials, and this is the idea of using a casket that biodegrades. But why isn't that enough for some people?
4: I was inspired by natural burial. Back in the day when I started thinking about my own mortality, and I love the idea of decomposing naturally in the ground. However, you need land to bury something. This is if you're buried in a
2: biodegradable casket.
4: Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I started to wonder what's something that we could have in our cities that wouldn't take up a lot of land. And I finally kind of landed on human composting. So this originated with you? It did. Oh, wow. How did you approach it? I was looking at this from a design perspective because I was in grad school for architecture at the time. And at first it was just my parents that thought it was a cool idea and my professors. And as I started to continue working on it, I realized that people are
2: really craving more options for their bodies when they die. Well, and describe it. How does it work? We're not talking about people doing it themselves in their compost bins. How do you offer it as a service? So composting in its simplest form is a lot like what's happening on the
4: forest floor. You know, you have dead sticks, leaves, maybe your errant chipmunk. All of that is decomposing naturally and creating topsoil. So Recompose is mimicking that process. We use a vessel, which is a stainless steel container. We place the person's body on a mixture of wood chips, alfalfa, and straw. That's the perfect blend of nitrogen and carbon materials to help the body decompose naturally. And then we cover the body with more of that plant material... And over the next month, month and a half, the body breaks down into usable compost. About half of our families choose to come and pick up the soil from Recompose, and they use it on gardens or to plant a tree to remember their loved one. And then the other half are donating the
2: soil to conservation efforts. How much does this cost? And how do people, what do they do, come in and just sign up for a future date? How does it work? Our team works with
4: families all the way from the time of death all the way through the transformation into soil. And Recompose charges $7,000 for the whole journey. We've got lots of folks who've signed up for Precompose, which is our prearrangement program. And it's a way to say, I know I want this for my future self, even if it's 30, 40 years in the future.
5: Hmm.
2: Okay, Nina Schoen, again, who wants to do this when the time comes. Nina, what's the appeal for you?
5: I think it's on on so many levels. One, of course, is like the sustainable element of it all, you know, not creating harm to the earth when I leave the earth. As Katrina mentioned, you know, it mimics the process on the forest floor. It's actually happening in my backyard. It's something that's happening all around us. There's this combination of life and transformation into new life. And for me personally, you know, I respect everyone's choice. But I love the idea of just fitting into that natural cycle. And I think the last idea that's so appealing to me is that the process is not immediate. You know, we live in this culture where things are, you know, immediately taken away and you've got to get over something and move on to the next thing. But I love the idea that death for both the body that's transforming and the loved one's Around can go through this slow process. It sort of mimics the grief process. So, just overall, it's a concept that hit me in a way that I almost can't even describe. How does your
2: family feel about it?
5: My family is really supportive. Um, not at all surprised. You know, I have for many years been very interested in our culture's view of death and our fear around death. And I've been very interested in wanting to make it a more human experience, just knowing it's something that's going to happen to all of us. And so when I heard about Katrina's idea and had this really strong connection to it, I think there was just lots of support. And they're so happy that I found something that means so much to me.
2: Sure. But as you well know, Katrina and Nina as well, There are people who are against this for, in some cases, religious reasons. In uh, New York, the New York State Catholic Conference, which represents bishops in the state, had opposed the bill there because, and I'll quote um, the executive director, a process that is perfectly appropriate for returning vegetable trimmings to the earth is not necessarily appropriate for human bodies. Human bodies are not household waste, and we don't believe the process meets the standard of reverent treatment of our earthly remains. Katrina, first, your thoughts on that. You know, it's so interesting that they said that.
4: It made me realize that in the U.S. we actually bury waste in landfills all the time. We also burn waste, (laughs) and that's what cremation is. So I don't know about that as an argument. I think the Catholic Church is going to come around if you want to really know. And also, you know, human composting, it doesn't have to be for everyone, and I'm perfectly Mm. happy to bring it to the world as a new option that people can
2: choose for themselves. Nina, your thoughts on on that, that it doesn't have the reverence. I feel I'm hearing reverence from you.
5: Yeah, I think for me, this feels like one of the most generous and selfless things that I can do. I don't need a place on this earth to mark the fact that I once lived. This is my time to live right here and now. And in the future, it's someone else's time to live. And the best thing that I can do is do my best from what I was given to allow another thing to thrive. Yeah.
2: We've been speaking to Katrina Spade, founder and CEO of Recompose, which is the Seattle company that specializes in human composting for end of life. And we also spoke to Nina Schoen, who's a mom, a software product manager who says this is what she hopes her ending will be like. I want to thank you both so much for speaking with us. Thank you. Thank,
5: thank you. you
0: probably know this podcast comes from NPR and WBUR Boston. Well, WBUR has a lot of podcasts, actually, and I want to tell you a little more about one of them in case you're looking for something else to listen to. It's called The Common, and well, you know better than me telling you about it, we've got the host of The Common, Daryl C. Murphy, right here. Hey, Daryl. Hey, Chris, how
6: you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm all right. All right, good to hear Well, what's The Common? Well, The Common is WBUR's news and culture podcast, It's a morning show, so it's out every day at like five or six in the morning. And we just do a brief rundown of, you know, some of the stories that come from WBUR and a lot of stories that just come from the region. And uh, also, I should mention that the show is less than 15 minutes because, you know, we know people are busy, you know.
0: Right, yeah. So WBUR reporters are, are coming on, other people in the Boston area to talk about mm-hmm. what's going on there. And and that's not just relevant for people in Boston, is it? I mean, you, you guys cover things that I think listeners everywhere can relate to. So what are some of the things that you've talked about on the show recently?
6: Oh, yeah. So, you know, one show we did was with Boston Globe reporter uh, Tiana Woodard. She had done a story about how young black Bostonians are leaving the area and going down south in a a pattern or a trend called reverse migration. Um, We have a clip of it here. So Tiana, I just moved up here and you're telling me that all the black people are leaving?
4: (laughs) (laughs) I know. What's going on here? What gives?
6: (laughs) How did you find out about this story? What got you interested in it? What did you see? Uh, Tell us. So, I moved straight from Texas to Boston in 2021. And kind of just as I was going out in the community and introducing myself to people, I would tell them, Yeah, like I grew up, I was born and raised in Nashville. I just came here from Texas, though. I live in Texas for about 13 years. And they're like, Oh, my God, why are you here? Like, I'm trying to leave there. All these like black folks are just really interested. As soon as I told them I was a Southerner, their ears perked up. And I was just thinking, I feel like there's a story here. Yeah. So, (laughs) you know, that's an example of what we talk about on The Common. And we talk about it in a way that is, you know, fun and approachable just so that, you know, people could get some some sugar with the medicine. You know what I mean? (laughs) Absolutely. No,
0: that's a great story. And it's something that's happening in a lot of cities, too. You know, where I live in Chicago, I know there's been a similar uh, reverse migration happening for some time. So, you know, if anyone's thinking, hey, I don't live in Boston, what what can the common offer me? Then, I mean, I'll be listening (laughs) from Chicago. And a lot of these issues are really relevant for people all over the country. So thanks for what you do. And
6: and Daryl, where can people get this show if they want to listen? Well, people can find The Common wherever they get podcasts. Just look up The Common. That's the host of The Common from
0: WBUR, Daryl C. Murphy. Daryl, thank you. Thank you, Chris. For more info about WBUR's podcasts, head to hereandnow.org. And while you're there, check out more stories from Here and Now, including what DeMar Hamlin's injury reveals about health care in the NFL, we talked to sportscaster Garrett Bush about his impassioned plea for healthcare in the league.
3: It'll take you
4: or you or you to twist my arm to do something I should be doing for my players regardless. Everything ain't a negotiation. You getting billions, you can die today. That's a sliver of These people just want basic healthcare.
0: One more thing. Yesterday we talked about bike safety and heard one view on how cyclists can hopefully stay safe while riding in traffic. But a few listeners disagreed with what our guest had to say. So tomorrow, we'll revisit the topic. Make sure you're subscribed to Here and Now anytime so you don't miss that one. Today's stories were produced by Kalyani Saxena, Gabrielle Healy, and Karen Miller-Medson. Our editors today are Todd Munt, Gabe Bullard, and Kat Welch. Technical direction from Mike Moschetto and Caleb Green. Theme music by me, Mike, and Max Liebman. Our digital producers are Allison Hagen and Grace Griffin. And the executive producer of Here and Now is Carleen Watson.